as the the offering is being received do you want to give you a little bit of a sense of what's coming up in the remainder of the afternoon here uh, if you are a guest here our worship time is a little different uh, than it would normally be normally we sing longer than we just did and uh, normally we have a a full sermon or message from God's Word. Instead of those things, we are happy to uh, be experiencing together the ordination, the formal public recognition of calling to pastoral ministry of our brother Joel Bain. And yes. have opportunity to do more of that in a, in a little while so hold a little bit of that for later uh, but you know it makes kind of a, a big weekend yesterday they had some kind of event in England that people were noticing a wedding of some sort we have an ordination here and uh, this is this is massively important massively important for the kingdom of God. We, we should probably clarify just a little bit because there is misunderstanding about these things. We, we do not ordain men to gospel ministry in order to elevate them to some kind of elite status. Uh, we don't ordain men to gospel ministry to suggest that they have greater spiritual worth or higher status or better access to God or greater consecration to the Lord. We believe in what has been called throughout history the priesthood of all believers and that means that every single christian has equal access to god every single believer in jesus has equal access to god and if faithful in life is consecrated to god for his service we believe in the priesthood of all believers but we do not believe in the pastorhood of all believers or in the elderhood of all believers. All believers are equally called to serve Christ, but not all are called to serve Christ in the same way. We believe that there are some men who are called, who are gifted, who are qualified to plant and build and pastor churches through the ministry of the Word of God and through prayer. The Bible calls these men pastors or elders or overseers. So today we are ordaining into gospel ministry our brother Joel. If you're wondering why we would have a ceremony or a, a pause in our normal life as a church in order to mark this event, well, there's, there's a few good reasons for that. Uh, first of all, the scriptures give us a pattern of preparing and testing and approving men for ministry and then publicly laying hands on them as a symbolic and real expression of the, the passing on to others of the work of the ministry and the power and blessing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be doing this afternoon. There's also value in doing this because it reminds us of what Paul the Apostle says that the work of a pastor is a noble work. It is a work that is worthy to desire. And, and in this way, we can bring a measure of honor 
uh, to our brother as he commits himself to this work. It's also a way of making sure that we, we keep in mind that, as it says in Ephesians, Christ has given to his church gifts, pastors and teachers. This is a way of, of saying publicly, saying in a formal but sincere kind of way, Lord Jesus, thank you for your gifts to the church. Thank you for this gift of Joel. And the church in Jamaica is going to be greatly blessed because of this gift. And we have the joy of celebrating the gift today. It's also important to do this because it's a way of expressing our partnership with Sovereign Grace churches. We have a family of churches, and that family of churches has provided exams and materials and process and approval uh, for Joel in order to ensure that he is biblically qualified and biblically called to ministry. We do not function as a single solitary church. We function in partnership with other churches, and this marks that, as we're going to hear from Uncle Andy in just a few minutes, uh, as he plays the role, fulfills the role of a sovereign grace representative for us here today. And finally, by having a moment like this, we, we simply have a chance to, to honor this man and to honor his wife, Sam, uh, and to honor their parents uh, who have uh, raised Joel. Parents are here. You'll be hearing from his dad in just a moment. Uh, it's, a, it's a moment to honor. Uh, it's a moment to say, well done. And uh, this is good. This is as it should be. So you may wonder how Joel got here uh, it's taken a long time. It, it's taken a lifetime of being raised and equipped and prepared by his father and his mother. Uh, it has taken years of life in the church in Jamaica. It has moved from there to the Sovereign Grace Pastors College, then through a church year-long church planting uh, coaching and prepping experience, including a first-hand, up-close church planting residency here at Risen Hope. And then it has taken the ordination process itself, uh, which has been extensive and uh, has been thorough and has um, been challenging. And at the end of all of that, we have this moment right here, which is really just the beginning of much that is to come. We want you to hear from a few different folks here this afternoon. And so, first of all, we thought it would be fitting to ask Joel's dad to share a few comments with you. This is uh, Brendan and Pauline. Would you both please stand just for a moment? Joel's mom and dad are here from Jamaica. Thank you, Pastor Shory. Good afternoon to all. My wife Pauline and I first want to thank the Haydn Grants for the hospitality that they've been showing us since early yesterday morning before daylight when we arrived in Philadelphia. Joel, greetings from friends and family in Jamaica and from your sister Jeanette and her family in England. Your mother and I 
bless you on this special day of your ordination. May you continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a child, you were obedient to us and often reminded your older brother David to be obedient also. Our prayer is that you will continue to be obedient to the Lord as a man. You also had from early on a deep-sounding voice of authority. We were amazed at your capacity to reason and argue. One relative even said that you would be going to parliament in your diapers. <laughs> your ability to be quiet, to focus and play alone for long periods was amazing to us, and yet you enjoyed playing with others. Throughout your school career, from primary to university, your teachers and peers recognized and capitalized on your leadership skills. We were a little surprised when, after completing your first degree, you declared that you really wanted to do music and theology. We're thankful that you have followed and obeyed God's call. We pray that he will continue to bless your ministry 100-fold. Continue to be a faithful husband and father, even as you launch into your work outside of home. This is particularly important in today's world. May the Lord use your music and preaching powerfully, but remember that your mission is service, not becoming popular. Give all the glory to the Lord. Finally, may the words spoken by the prophet Jeremiah apply to you. This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. from one generation to another. The wonderful works of God are passed on and then to another and then to another. Well, we want you to hear from Samora as well. Look, folks, as much as Joel has sacrificed, as much as he has worked and labored, Sam has done even more. There's just no way to get around that. Uh, even more. As a faithful wife and mom, uh, and as one who has stood side by side with Joel throughout all this process, Sam has just been a, a, an example of character and faith and strength and hope. And why don't you come on forward, Sam, and share some thoughts. And let's thank God for Sam, even as she comes now.
Good afternoon, church. One night, Joel and I were sitting in his car just outside my family home in Kingston. I can't remember if we were dating or married, but just like a few other significant moments in my life, the Lord broke in and spoke to me in a direct, firm, and yet gentle way. This time, it was about full-time ministry, that Joel's calling involves being in the ministry in and to the church in some way, shape, or form. As I reflect on that night and on this occasion, I can't help but be amazed to see how the Lord has brought that word to pass. Over the 13 years of our marriage, I've watched my husband be humble and faithful in the places God planted him in order to work in his heart and in the development of his skills. All this has helped to prepare him for pastoral ministry. As co-owner of a web development company with his brother, Joel, right up until our departure, managed clients' expectations and demands with grace, collaborated with his brother on ideas for new products and services they could offer, and resisted the temptation to underestimate and underreport on the business's fledgling revenue and consequently its taxes. As a small group leader for 10 years in our former church, I watched as he grew in his ability to teach and counsel the men and women who the Lord brought to that group through three iterations of the group. And I also heard him confess his inadequacies and affairs as he grew. As an occasional preacher and worship leader in that same church, I heard how congregants felt challenged and encouraged by the word he brought the biblically aligned songs he chose and the prophetic exhortations he spoke as he was led by the Spirit. And I observed how he was keen to hear my honest opinion of his sermon, giving me permission to point out areas where he needed to improve. While Joel's witness of Jesus has grown publicly by God's grace, his witness to Jacob Khalil, Maya, Dominic, and I has grown too. We have watched how his leadership and care for us, especially in the past two years, has become increasingly shaped by the pastor's college training emphasis to watch your life and doctrine closely, based on 1 Timothy 4:16. Thank you, babe. For more date nights and breakfasts, for more biblically sound book recommendations, for gentle rebukes, for humble confessions and apologies, for earrings and manipedes. Thank you for engaging our children in the reading of Chronicles of Narnia and the Gospel of Mark, for explaining what a hat trick means and why Proverbs 3 says that the Lord reproves him whom he loves, for applying discipline when appropriate and confessing when it was based on unchecked anger and frustration, for living in such a way that Maya's most recent description of her experience of you as a father was described as fun and godly. Thank you for being an exemplary leader for us and others in the past, in the present, and God willing in the future. Love you. Good afternoon. I, I have the wonderful privilege of giving the ordination charge for our brother Joel. 
the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here, and it's been uh, uh, just a joy to have Joel in the office and to uh, talk through theology, talk through pastoral ministry, and to be able to sharpen one another. Joel, the Lord has been faithful. It's been a journey of faith, as Tim mentioned earlier. The Lord bringing you from Jamaica to Louisville, to the Sovereign Grace Church's Pastors College, and then here to Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania for your year-long pastoral residency, and then being sent off to church plant in Jamaica. And now, Joel, you are entering ordained gospel ministry. And the work of a church planner has both great honor and weighty responsibility. And as you church plant in Jamaica, there are unique opportunities and challenges. As we've talked about, as you've related to me, it's a, it's a country that is saturated with churches and yet lacking in discipleship. It is a country where many profess faith in Jesus Christ, but few are bearing gospel fruit. And I want to give to you a two-part charge taken from Acts chapter 20. This is Paul's final words to the pastors, to the elders in the church of Ephesus. First, Joel, I charge you to pay careful attention to yourself. Pastoral ministry is dangerous. It's a dangerous calling. We are warned by God's word that not many of us should be teachers because we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. As one writer said, a great man cannot commit a small sin. And we as pastors are more likely to sin against greater knowledge and sin with greater hypocrisy. And as you bring reformed theology and teach biblical convictions summarized in our seven shared values to Jamaica, you'll be under a microscope. You'll be under greater scrutiny. So pay careful attention to yourself. You might preach or teach for 40 minutes at a time, but your life is a living sermon. People will learn as much or even more from the way you live than from what you say. Who is sufficient for these things? So I charge you, Joel, to pray continually and to rely not on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. I charge you, Joel, to humble yourself before the Lord, before his mighty hand, so at the proper time, he will lift you up. I charge you to contend for the faith, to contend for the gospel, to contend for our seven shared values within sovereign grace, but don't be contentious. I contend you to charge, and I charge you, you know, as you are contending for the faith and for our shared values to build gospel partnerships among other churches who love and preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And I charge you to remember that Jesus Christ ultimately, not us, he ultimately is the one who builds the church and it belongs to him. And second, Joel, I charge you to pay careful attention to all the flock. Pastoral ministry, to be a pastor, is dangerous. And like the prophet Ezekiel you, are, you will be a watchman who has to stand guard and sound the alarm. The alarm that God is coming soon and he is coming to judge the living and the dead. So I charge you in light of that reality to declare the whole counsel of God. To be ready in season and out of season to proclaim the message, the good news of the gospel. To proclaim that a bruised and bloody savior who died on the cross is the only hope for us as sinners. To proclaim that God commands all people everywhere to repent because there's coming a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And proclaim this gospel which was offensive then and is offensive now. 
And I charge you to warn people that they must bear fruits in keeping with repentance, that it is not enough simply to profess faith in Christ. There must be evidence of that saving faith. And I charge you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, to care for the weak, to search for the lost, to correct those sheep that are straying off into error, and to train others to do likewise. I charge you to pay careful attention to all the flock which Christ has purchased with his own blood. And finally, I charge you, Joel, to serve our Savior in such a way that you will hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will entrust you with much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Now I'd like to ask Andy Farmer to come forward. He will be uh, Warren Betcher is our Sovereign Grace Northeast Region regional leader. He was unable to attend, so Andy Farmer will be representing Sovereign Grace and doing these uh, ordination vows for Joel. Joel, if I could have you and Sam come up here and face the congregation. It is my privilege to represent Northeast Region of Sovereign Grace, the elders who have confirmed his ordination uh, at our recent Regional Assembly of Elders and are delighted that he is now an elder in Sovereign Grace and uh, that we will have the privilege shortly to transition him to the Southeast Region uh, where he will be sent out uh, to plant the church in Kingston. Uh, but for a very short time, he will be an elder here as well. So I've had a chance to get to know Joel two years ago at uh, teaching at the pastor's uh, college where he attended. Uh, and then this year, he is in a church planner's cohort, which I'm involved with, which involves five other, uh, four other uh, church planners and their wives. Um, we just finished a retreat this weekend uh, the goal of which is to equip men and women for the arduous task of planting. And Joel has distinguished himself there as he has everywhere he's gone. So this is the opportunity to give you a chance to affirm and confirm your own call to the ministry. Jo Joel, in order to publicly affirm your commitment to, lead, to Jesus Christ, and to the gospel ministry in love of the church and of our Lord Jesus, it is necessary for me to ask you the following questions. Please answer them according to your convictions and conscience before this congregation. Do you promise to shepherd the flock of God not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. If so, say, I do. I do. Do you promise to faithfully guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer? And do you promise to protect that flock from false teaching, division, and dissension? If so, say, I do. I do. 
Do you promise to care for the flock of God, not as a hireling or mere professional, but as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, caring for his sheep as the precious ones for whom he died? If so, say, I do. Do you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus in this congregation, promise to preach the word in season and out of season? Do you promise to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, enduring suffering while remaining sober-minded in all of your preaching and teaching? And will you do the work an evangelist among those of whom God has given you charge? If so, say, I do. Do you declare sincerely before God that you believe that all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith fully agree with the Scriptures? If so, say, I do. Do you own that statement as the statement and confession of your faith? Do you promise to teach and defend these doctrines in public and private? Do you promise further that if in the future you come to have reservations about any of these doctrines, you will share these reservations with your eldership and your regional assembly of elders? Do you promise to keep a close watch on yourself and to walk humbly before others, to be self-suspicious of your own motives, to invite criticism from others, and to make yourself accountable to those whom God has put in your life? Do you submit without exception to the explicitly mandated practices of the Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order, affirming that that form of government is a wise and suitable application of scriptural principles? Do you promise to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and show yourself in all respects, in action and in speech, to be a model of good works integrity and dignity so that neither the church nor our Lord Savior Jesus Christ nor the gospel may be brought into reproach? Do you promise to continually seek the gifts of the Spirit that you might receive, serve God's people not in the energy of the flesh but in the power of the Holy Spirit and to carry out your ministry without fear of man? Amen. Amen have the opportunity to give to Joel his certificate of ordination. And I thought I would read it for all of us so that you know what it means to be an elder. Certificate of Ordination, Risen Hope Church, Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. This is to certify that Joel Arthur Bain having proved his divine gift and calling, having consecrated himself to this calling according to the Word of God, has on the 20th day of May 2018, through the laying on of hands and prayer, which we will do, has been set apart and ordained as a pastor and minister of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in Risen Hope Church, Pennsylvania, as affirmed by the Northeast Regional Assembly of Sovereign Grace Churches. In accordance with the provisions of said church, this ordination confers on him the right to preach the word, administer the sacraments of water baptism and the Lord's Supper, officiate at funerals and weddings, and feed the flock of God. 
In witness thereof, the undersigned leaders have set their seal. Mark Prater, Leadership Team, Sovereign Grace Churches. Warren Betcher, Regional Leader, Sovereign Grace Churches. And Tim Shorey, Senior Pastor, Risen Hope Church. This is for you. Now we're going to invite now fellow elder Leo Paris to come up and with, with the elders to pray. Before uh, I pray for us, uh, I was asked to share just a couple comments. Uh, I'll keep this short. And uh, I know Joel heard that and went, oh, no, what's he going to say? Um, Joel and I met a couple years ago at the Pastors College. We both attended the same year. And I remember my first impression of Joel as we all sat there in the classroom and sort of introduced ourselves. And Joel introduced himself as the guy who, you know, does worship music sometimes and, you know, almost didn't come and sort of was just a throw-in of the other uh, two Jamaican brothers that were there. And so I was like, oh, okay, it's great. I'm glad he's with us, but, you know, I'm sure he's kind of like, you know, not as gifted as the rest of the people in this uh, room. It only took like two conversations for me to be like, oh, it was one of those fake humble acts. <laughs> um, but no, for real, Joel is, um, he's a man who's extremely gifted, but also a man that has been given um, a shaped and molded godly character from God. Um, and it doesn't take you long to realize both of those things. Missy and my wife Melissa and I have benefited from both of those things, his character and also his God-given gifts. Um, Joel is able to listen patiently to know you and to understand, not to say something, but to simply come alongside and to be with you in what you're going through, very much like Christ. Joel is able to think broadly, theologically, but at the same time pastorally and sensitive to the moment and the experience. And I've, I've experienced that. Missy and I have both experienced that these last two years as he's, he's brought us back to the truth, but he's also met us where we were at. And Joel's led his family faithfully through two countries, two different states, I think it was four different moves, uh, miles and miles, and fundraising, and two different churches over the last couple years. He has led his family faithfully, eager to be first positioned to, towards them, even as he was managing putting together a church planning prospectus 
serving our church, leading a team of guys getting ready to go to Jamaica, the first priority was his family. And I had a, 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 an inside view to that as we talked about how we were struggling, how we wanted to grow as husbands and fathers. He's been a faithful man. And there's been a serious deposit made in him by God, so much so that at the pastor's college, they had to invent a new award for him. So they, they had never given this in the however many years it's been happening, and they had to invent the Charles Spurgeon Award, which is basically shorthand for the guy who's good at everything. Um, and so the thing I'm excited about is not so much that award, but the fact that, that a man with the character you have has been given those gifts. So that as you go to Jamaica, it can be multiplied for the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ, and not for your own. And I'm confident that that's going to happen. So with that in mind, let's pray for Joel. Would you join with me as I pray? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you broke into Joel's life early. We thank you that you called him to yourself at a young and moldable age and that the last several years have been a layering of rich truth, a layering of a deposit of grace in him that has allowed him to withstand the trials and the temptations that have stood in the way of this day. Lord, your grace has overcome it all overcome the sinfulness of his heart, overcome the challenges along the way. And so, Father, we pray for more grace. Would you right now send your Holy Spirit and equip Joel and Psalm even more, Lord? We pray for more grace. Would you give them greater gifting, greater fortitude, Lord? I pray as they go, would they go with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help Joel to watch his life and his doctrine? Would he not fall and succumb to temptation? Help him to trust in Jesus. Lord, may he keep the main thing, the main thing in the cross of Jesus Christ. Give him a clairvoyant, vivid view of the cross that he cannot shake. And I pray, Father, Lord, that you would help him to protect his flock and his team and his wife in Jamaica. Lord, would you give him wisdom and would you prosper the efforts of his hand? Lord, who is sufficient for these things? Only by your grace, God. And so we pray for your grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to give you a chance to hear from Joel directly now um, as he shares some comments. Good afternoon, everyone. The problem is now I have this script in front of me, and there's so many other things bubbling up that I want to say, but I'm trying to be faithful to my time, so I'm going <laughs> to try to stick with what I've written. Not so many years ago, in 2014, I was still wrestling privately with a call to pastoral ministry. And today, I get to share the gravity 
and the joy and the expectation of what God will do with all of you. How kind God is to bring our lives together, even as he builds this church. I want to share a few thoughts with you from Romans chapter 15, verses 30 to 33. So you can turn there now, but before I do that, I really want to say some thank yous. The problem with this is that there really are far too many people to thank and too many things I'd like to say to them. So please accept these brief thank yous as sufficient for this occasion and this time. I want to thank God who saved me and called me to a holy calling and has appointed me as a preacher of the gospel, even though I am by no means deserving of his blessings or sufficient for these things. I want to publicly thank and honor my wife, Samora, for undertaking this journey in faith and for patiently enduring the many burdens that it required you to carry in this season. I love you, dear. I can't imagine walking through this time without your help and your love, and I look forward to us growing together as we continue to serve together. To my children, Maya, Dominic, and Jacob Khalil, I want to say that I love you dearly, and I continue to marvel at how God is shaping you and shaping me through you as our adventure together continues. It's a joy to have my parents here today. Thank you, Dad, for your words. They were very meaningful. Thank you both for the example of godliness you gave us and the legacy you've given me in the faith and for your continued love and support. I want to express my gratitude for Sean and Sheldon. Sheldon is already back in Jamaica. Sean is here with us today. He's been at Covenant Fellowship doing his internship. These are the men I'll be pastoring alongside. I'm grateful for your friendship and for your faith and for your wives, Ruthann and Sarah, and for all the, ki all the children God has given us together. There are nine kids on our team. So they already outnumber us, and so pray for us. <laughs> Today marks for us one more important step on what I pray will be a very long journey together in ministry. I am so grateful for the elders of Risen Hope, for Tim and for Alex and for Leo, for welcoming me in faith as a pastoral resident, and for all you guys have poured into me during this season. Our fellowship has been sweet. It, it's been a joy to, to meet with you men and to meet together with you and the wives. Uh, it's been a joy for Sam and I to become friends with Galen and Teresa also. Leo and Missy, I don't have words and I don't have time. <laughs> the time we've had together at the Pastors College and here during these months has been a precious gift to me and Sam. I'm thankful for Sovereign Grace and particularly for the Northeast region and for Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills for welcoming me and supporting my family financially during these months. I'm deeply grateful for Mark Prater. Mark has been a friend to us from the start of our journey, and I'm grateful for his humble and helpful leadership uh, that, that he gives to all of us in our family of churches. Risen Hope, it is to your credit that it is impossible for me to mention all the people who have welcomed us and taken an interest in us and our mission and befriended us, and served us, and loved and served our children. Thank you for supporting us through giving to the Missions Fund. I need to mention especially the Haydn Grens and the Coes who have served us sacrificially beyond any reasonable expectation.
during our time here and in different ways. And also Donna and Emil Gabidon, who in God's providence have been a part of our journey with Sovereign Grace from the very first day. Sam and I and our kids have been among you for almost 10 months. We feel like we've become a part of you. So it, it's very hard for us to leave. Many of you have expressed to Sam or to me how much you'll miss us. And the feeling is mutual. Thank you for getting to know us and for opening your hearts to friendship with us, even though you knew we weren't going to be here long term. These 10 months have been a gift to us relationally. But here is only a foretaste of there. We will have 10,000 years and so much more to look forward to when we'll be together with our Savior. So let's give our attention for a few minutes to God's holy word in Romans 15, 30 to 33. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Just before Paul says these words, he had laid out his plans for an uncertain journey. And now, with urgency and with seriousness, Paul seeks to draw these believers in Rome into mission with him, into a partnership through prayer that grows from mutual love and leads to mutual joy. There are three things I want to just point out for you quickly in Paul's appeal for prayer, even as I make my own appeal to you on behalf of my team as we embark on our own uncertain journey. Firstly, prayer for mission is grounded in the gospel. Paul wants his appeal to sink deep into the hearts of his readers, so he anchors it with weighty gospel realities. Look at what he says. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ. His appeal is on the basis of the authority of Jesus, God's chosen one who suffered for the sins of his people and is reigning as the Lord of the universe. And Paul just doesn't say the Lord Jesus Christ. He says our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's reminding them of the fact that they all have the same Savior that he does and live under the gracious rule of the same Lord that he does. So it should be pretty clear to you that for Paul, this re request for prayer is not just a personal matter. It concerns the mission of Christ and the well-being of the church of Christ. He adds to that by the love of the Spirit. So he's appealing also on the basis of the mutual love that the Spirit has inspired between believers and between him and these believers. He knows that they have experienced the surprising sense of connection to each other and deep concern for each other. And now for him, that is a work of the Spirit in their hearts. He wants that love to overflow into prayer. So Paul's appeal is to both authority and to intimacy. He's reminding them that they take orders from the same general and that they're brothers in arms with deep love for one another. Our prayers are an expression of our belief in and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Amazingly, the one who rules over all things is the one who taught us how to pray. And our prayers for each other are an expression of the love we've received and of the love we share as believers. They're one of the ways we care for each other. Would you care for us in that way in the coming months? What this means is that while our prayers don't have to be long, they should never be routine or offhand. Our prayers matter. Your prayers are going to affect the outcome of our ministry in Jamaica. They express our trust in the cosmic rulership of Christ and our love for each other. Secondly, prayer for mission makes us into partners. When Paul says to these believers, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that verb pictures being engaged in conflict. It seems that what Paul is doing is calling these believers to come alongside him in his difficult assignment through prayer. What that means is that even though in just a few days we'll be separated by 1,500 miles, we can still work side by side. Prayer is a means of partnering in the mission of the gospel. You can have a vested interest and participate in, in what we're doing in Jamaica through prayer. It also tells us that when we pray, we're getting work done. Now, this culture doesn't seem to understand that. Once there's a tragedy, you'll hear people talking about prayer. And it seems like for them, prayer is akin to sending positive thoughts. And often you'll hear people criticize calls for prayer and by calling instead for action, creating a dichotomy between the two. But prayer is work. Prayer is not an expression of kind sentiment or hopeless last resort, but of confidence in God's power and of loving participation with each other. Prayer matters. Your prayers matter to us. In the economy of mission, Paul sees prayer as a significant way people who otherwise might be on the sidelines can get into the game. Thirdly, prayer for mission requests God's blessings of success and fellowship. Paul asks for prayers for two specific things in this passage with a particular goal in mind. He wants them to pray for his personal safety and for the success of his mission as he goes to Jerusalem. In all this, Paul's ultimate goal was that he would be able to finish that mission and come to visit the believers in Rome and be refreshed by them. But as Acts 21 tells us, things didn't go as planned. I've spoken to many church planters. Things don't go as planned. When we pray, we are seeking God's will. His will is that we pray, but yet our prayers are not ultimate. His decisions are ultimate. We ask for specific things based on the wisdom we have in a given situation. But because prayer is an act of submission to the Lordship of Jesus, we make our requests and trust him to do what's best, even if it's not exactly what we ask for. One of the goals of prayer for mission is mutual joy. We want you to share our joy as we plant in Jamaica and send you news of what God does in and through us. Your joy in what God does through us in Jamaica will be multiplied because of your prayers. But at the same time, we're joyfully aware that the ultimate expression of this mutual joy will be when we meet Jesus and all our brothers and sisters in the new world. 
through the mission of the gospel, God is gathering a crowd from every tribe and every nation and every language and every tongue. And we'll all rejoice around his throne, knowing that our prayers played a role in his mission. So these three truths lead to and can be summed up in one big idea in this passage that I want to shape your hearts as you pray for us. Prayer is a powerful and meaningful opportunity to partner with others in gospel mission. It's a powerful and it's a meaningful opportunity to partner with others in gospel mission. This summer, my team and I will begin the process of gathering a church planting team at home to work alongside us as we plant Grace Family Church in Caymanus Estate, several miles outside of Kingston in Jamaica. Our vision over the next several years is to cultivate disciples who, are, who together are digging deeper into the gospel, bearing the fruit of changed hearts seen in their values, in their pursuits, and in their relationships, and making disciples as God causes supernatural life and refreshment to flow through us to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, to our co-workers. I have the privilege of doing this with Sam and my kids and with the Taylor and Campbell families. There are many churches in Jamaica, but very few who share this local church's commitment to preaching the gospel every week explicitly, not just for the unbelievers among us, but also preaching and applying the gospel to Christians because we understand the way that the gospel shapes and empowers Christian living and Christian community. Jamaica is a beautiful country, and our people have a strong sense of identity. You know that because you have Jamaicans among you. So. But when last measured, we had the fifth highest murder rate in the world, and 85% of our children are born out of wedlock. Very significantly, last year, a national survey found that three out of four Jamaicans are either not saved or think they are but are not displaying the fruit of salvation in their lives. We believe that God's desire is to revitalize existing churches and raise up new churches to stand alongside them as we engage both unbelievers and believers with the gospel. This church was planted almost three years ago as a part of Sovereign Grace's goal to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ by planting and strengthening churches for the glory of God. Sovereign Grace was willing to build a relationship with me and with Sean and Sheldon and welcome us into the family, train us, and now send us back to our home and support us because we're committed to that same goal. And my relationship with you exists because Sovereign Grace exists as a family of churches. Our partnership is costly. And it's costly in a number of ways that some of you have been more aware of in recent weeks and months than others. But our partnership is valuable. I need you to continue to partner with us. Please strive together with us in your prayers on our behalf as we begin to plant a church. I'm increasingly convinced through passages like this one that prayer matters so much more than we could even imagine. Our material needs as we go back to plant can be met, but we will never move beyond our need for prayer. So we'll be keeping in touch with the elders and through the Global Missions Ministry, you'll hear from us. Uh, we'll be back. We're definitely coming to visit. This is now our base in the U.S. So, you know, don't be surprised if you see us. And as things progress, we will send specific prayer requests in those months. In concluding, Paul himself concludes his request with a prayer for his recipients, with a blessing 
as this season of togetherness, togetherness ends, yet because of it, we move forward together, partnering in the work of the gospel, I want to leave that same blessing with you. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Joel has shown us a few thoughts from the last part of Romans 15, how we will be partnering with them in prayer. In a moment like this, as we prepare to send Joel and Sam out, we are reminded of something that is central to New Testament biblical Christianity, and that is that the Christian faith is intended to be a global faith. It is for all peoples and all nations. While it, while it is true that Risen Hope Church, in a, in a very sweet and wonderful way, is a community church, God does not want us to be limited to a community mission. Not every Christian needs to go into every part of the world, but every Christian should care about every part of the world. Here at Risen Hope, we are, we are committed to, by God's grace and the help of his spirit, to becoming a church where, where the pews, the seats are filled with globally minded believers. And, and to that end, we've, we've adopted a bit of a, of a three-part slogan, inform, inspire, and invest. Inform, inspire, and invest. Paul models these things for us right in Romans. In fact, there are those who believe that the book of Romans, even though it is this incredible theological document, is actually written as a missionary prayer and partnership letter. It begins and it ends with Paul talking about his global mission strategy and his desire to take the gospel where it has never gone before. And the book of Romans, in part, is meant to inform, to let the Romans know what was going on in his gospel ministry and what his plans were for the future. We are committed to inform you of what God is doing around the world. That is why we have created a global missions ministry. There will be a display of our global missions ministry put up once a month as you uh, come and as you leave on a Sunday, you'll see different mission partners uh, highlighted and information about them so that you can pray. There will be, uh, we will be providing periodic prayer updates on the Baines and on these other partners. This is also why we are planning in the fall of 2019 our first Risen Hope Global Missions Conference, a whole week devoted to global missions with as many of our mission partners as we can gather in for that week. We 
want you to be. We all need to be informed so that we can pray. Paul was committed to inform. He was also committed to inspire. In other words, Paul wanted to stir in us a passion like his for the world. He he wanted us to be engaged actively in proclaiming God's powerful gospel on what he calls in chapter 10, beautiful feet, to people unreached. This was Paul's mission that he wants to inspire us to, that we would proclaim God's powerful gospel on beautiful feet to people unreached. In Romans 1 and verse 16, you may well know this text, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God. The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is seeking to inspire us there. He is seeking to stir us. We have a powerful gospel. It has powerfully changed us, and it will powerfully change multitudes yet to come. He then inspires us in chapter 10 with these well-known words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This is, this is a kind of gospel logic that Paul runs through here. People need to call on Jesus in order to be saved. Do we know that? Do we understand that? Do we get that? You cannot be saved apart from calling on the name of Jesus. But Paul says the only way that people can call on him is if they believe in him. But then he says the only way they can believe in him is if they hear preaching or proclamation or witness about him. And then he says the only way that a preacher, a mission worker, someone can go out to proclaim that message that needs to be heard and believed so that they can call on Christ is if they are sent. And that's a New Testament technical word for mission. What it means is that in order for someone to go out in active, committed gospel ministry, they need to be sent with the support, with the prayer, with the partnership of people behind them. And that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. This is is not mere symbolism here. This is not, okay, yeah, we're going to be partners. No, we are partners in the gospel. This brother and this sister and their partners in Jamaica are partners with us and we with them. We are sending them. And that's the only way the gospel is going to advance in that part of the world. And then Paul tells us that his vision is that this 
powerful gospel will go on beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news to people unreached. Paul had this passion to take the gospel where it had never gone before. I don't, I don't know that there can be anything more joy-giving than, than that. Few things, few things. To have the opportunity to give the gospel who, to someone who's never heard of Jesus before. Now, all around us in this area, there is access to the gospel by virtually everybody if they'll look for it. But there are parts in this world where there's no access where there is no gospel witness, there is no preaching of Jesus. People have not even heard the name of Jesus. Paul says, I want the gospel to go to all the nations. I want it to go where it has never gone before. So he informed, he inspired, and then he calls on us to invest. Invest. That's part of what Paul means in Romans 15 where he says, I have longed to visit you so that I may be helped on my journey there to Spain, where the gospel's never gone before, that I might be helped on my journey there by you. That's again New Testament mission language. To be helped on the way implies in the New Testament investment. Investment of money, investment of prayer, investment of partnership, investment of people. There may be people here who are a part of Risen Hope to whom God is going to give vision to become a part of a church plant in Jamaica. Are we willing to invest not just our money but our people in the work of the gospel? It is in doing this that we truly become co-workers. You have already, Risen Hope family, you have already modeled partnership in the gospel. From time to time, I, I love to remind you all of what God is already doing through you not just here in Drexel Hill and the surrounding communities, but around the world. This past year, more than one-tenth of our offerings and gifts have gone to mission work here and around the world. That's more than $40,000 have gone to mission work through your ties and your offerings And in addition to that, you have pledged and followed through on $15,000 more to support the Baines in their residency here. You're already partners. You've already committed, so we're just calling on us all to continue the commitment. Continue the commitment. There are ways to keep on investing. Invest through prayer, as Joel has encouraged us. I wanted to take the role of encouraging investment through giving. Um, there, there are different ways you can invest. You can become a monthly giving partner. Uh, there, 
are different. You can 25 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, maybe $5 a month, maybe $10 a month. But just a monthly giving partner. We're going to encourage as many as possible to do this especially going to start this in September or October, which, by the way, is at the conclusion of our mission fund year. So you'll have all completed that giving and now can, can think through and pray through, how much do I invest? So a monthly giving partner. Um, ideally, ideally, those monthly gifts would continue for a couple of years that would allow the church in Jamaica to get established uh, and would allow uh, Joel to dedicate himself full-time to pastoral ministry. Can, can I encourage you all, pray about this, think about this, and see what God may stir you to give. They, they have a monthly giving goal of $2,200 per month. Uh, let's see how much of that we can reach right from our own number. Here. God, I am convinced, wants to meet this amount and will, not just from Risen Hope, but others as well. You could also give one-time gifts uh, to help defray expenses in the transition back to life in Jamaica. Uh, there's a, a site you can go to, I think, uh, up ahead, up top there. Uh, please uh, check that out. Check out the ways that you can invest. We, we need to be on mission. We need to be going or sending, one or the other, going or sending at all times. We need to be informed. We need to be inspired. We need to invest in this great work of the gospel. So on this glad, happy day of Joel's ordination, let it be for us a day that marks our ongoing commitment as well, all to the glory and praise of God and for the salvation of of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in the land of Jamaica. I'm going to ask the worship leaders if they would return. We, we want to return to sing one more song, and then I'm going to ask Sean Taylor, who is going with Joel and Sam, Sean and his wife Ruthie are going to be joining them in the work in Jamaica. I've asked Sean to lead us in our benediction. And then following that, uh, we are going to have a, uh, an ordination receiving line uh, where we're going to ask Joel and Sam to stand up here along with dad and mom, please, uh, stand up here. And folks, I'm going to encourage you all to kind of uh, move in this direction and come this way so that we don't get bottlenecked in here, just to greet them, uh, commend them, assure them of your prayers congratulate them, share the joy of the moment. Uh, before Sean comes to pray and then closes us, uh, let's stand together and let's sing again a song that we sung earlier about the spreading kingdom of Christ. Our kingdom come, O God. Even as we close this service, what comes to mind is something that is in Acts 20. You see the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. These are people that he has come to love and know for over two years. It's a bittersweet moment. 
they are talking about the things God has called them to do and what God is calling Paul to do. But then it's bitter. There is sadness. There is sorrow. They're not, they're not going to see Paul's face again. And honestly, we feel that same sense as we're at this moment. We, we look out here and we see so many people that has loved us, that has shown the gospel through your care. And so we feel that partnership and we feel that sorrow. But we are excited for what God will be doing in this church and in the church in Jamaica. And so it's in that light I want to leave with this benediction in Acts 20 verse 32. And now, risen hope church, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Go in the peace and grace of the Lord.